Welcome to Tucson New Thought. I love that song. It makes me cry. It makes me really emotional. Um, I think part of the emotion that comes up for me is as I was, it's, you know, it never, it never fails. I have something happen in the experience of this thing called the Sunday gathering, which even like makes me think, well, maybe I need to drop everything that I planned on talking about and talk about this other thing that's now happening for me in the moment. And what really came up for me is this. Do I live by the statement I just made? Have I lived by the statement I just made? And it brings a little bit of sorrow to my heart because I can look back and reflect on times in my life when I have not lived up to this. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. And it brings sorrow for me because there have been times when I have not been there for people that I love and cherish and, and call my friends. So what do I do about that? I let go of regret and trust that I am on the perfect path and I can do better from this moment moving forward. And that's what spiritual practice really is all about. Wow, I'm getting chills. Because the degree to which I live in regret for what has passed is the degree to which I'm pulling that into my current experience and reliving it and reliving it and reliving it and creating mentally the circumstances for that to never cease. That's hard. And so, to anyone whom I have not been there for, anyone who may be watching online, if I have ever in my life not been there for you, I apologize in this moment, and I promise I will do better. I'm having a moment up here in front of everyone. And so it is. And so it is. You know, this is my journey. I, will, I, I think one of the most challenging things to be as a minister is to be, well, it's not challenging anymore for me because I had, I developed a willingness to step into it fully, but a challenge for many ministers is to live authentically and openly in front of a community to say, here I am, I am putting it all out on the line to say that I will live by the principles I teach. And when I fall down, you're all going to see it. Because I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about it. That's what we, like, what else are we going to talk about on Sunday? Life is good. See, that's what I hate. If I just got up here every week and was like, life is really great, isn't it? Well, it is. But what's, the, what's, what's happening? What are the circumstances of our lives? What are the circumstances of our lives? And are they in alignment with what we say? That's why I, I, I feel this is why I was drawn to cover these declarations of principles. The, 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 so some of you may have gotten the handout. If you didn't, don't worry about it because you can get it later and I'm going to talk about what I talk about. So the Declaration of Principles, which I have said every week, was written in 1927 by Dr. Ernest Holmes, who is the founder of the particular branch of New Thought that I am involved with, which is religious science. He wrote these in 1927, and for the past, well, this is the fifth week, 
we've been covering these declarations of principles. I've been doing three each week, and it turns out there are 15 of them, so how perfect. This is the final week of this, what has now been a five-week series. Um, I, was on a, I was on a video call. I do a weekly video call with Reverend Steph St. Amand, who is the person who does the conscious coffee kind of thing online with me once a month. But we chat every week, the two of us, and we had a lot of discussion. Now, she is on the leadership council for the greater organization through which my ordination, uh, through which my ministerial license is, is held. She is on the leadership council, and we've had a lot of discussions because her being on the leadership council, she has questioned why I've chosen not to affiliate the center with that organization. I just said, you know what? There are a lot of reasons. Partially because I feel like their policies and procedures, <laughs> I'm saying this publicly. <laughs> There are some things that I am not in alignment with. And it's not that what they're doing is bad or wrong. It's not for me. That's what I know. And when I know that it's not for me, I am going to move forward in the best place in the way that I know is best for my growth, for my spiritual advancement, which is why I choose to be a center for spiritual evolution, because we are all actively participating in our own evolution when we align ourselves and root ourselves in and as love. So Steph and I were talking this week, and we were discussing the evolution of Ernest Holmes' thinking. Now, I said that these declarations were written in 1927. Ernest Holmes made his transition in 1960. And in the latter part of his life, he had evolved in his understanding. And in his, the root has always been the same. We are God, and the universe works based on a law of cause and effect. The root has always been the same. But the understanding at the feeling level is what was shifting for him. So he was constantly evolving and constantly evolving. And I think all great mystics, which remember we are, all great mystics are allowing themselves to evolve when we get to that deeper understanding. So we talked about 1927 versus 1959. And what we ultimately came to is... <coughs> What we are calling for is to have a deeper understanding of where we think he might be if he were here now. But he doesn't have to be here now because we are all individualizations of the one as he is. I won't say was because he still is because nothing ever ceases to be. He's just in a different expression of the one. We are all part of this. And so we get to be the, ev the evolution. We get to be the e evolution, the evolved expression of this philosophy. Where would he have come to today, especially with everything that's happening in the world of quantum physics? Right? Because basically quantum theory, quantum physics is proving what we've always known at the core of our hearts, that everything is energy and that this energy has a consciousness, the infinite consciousness. And we, each and every one of us, individualize that consciousness. <sighs> I'm like, where am I? <laughs> yeah. So new thought. New thought is ancient wisdom interpreted, interpreted in a contemporary context. That's how I understand new thought. That's why it's new thought, 
Because even though we're talking about ancient wisdom, we are understanding it with what we know now because we are constantly evolving. So the next principle, which is number 13, (laughs) you don't have to count, I'm gonna read it to you. The next principle is one which seems simple, but it's a bold statement. It is a very bold statement. Um, And one that many people find challenging in practice. So the statement is this. I don't I feel compelled to move this over here. I don't know. I usually have it over here, and for some reason it needs to be over here today. We teach the control of conditions through the power of this mind. We teach the control of conditions through the power of this mind. And now on your handout, it will say, we believe in the control of conditions through the power of this mind. If you wonder why I've changed it to teach, go back and watch the previous four weeks of videos. We teach the control of conditions through the power of this. Actually, I'll very simply say it. I affirm this as a belief that I have adopted in my life, but I teach it and invite you to determine what it is you believe. That's why I won't say we believe. We believe are Ernest Holmes' words, and he actually said, I believe. An organization has changed it to we believe. We teach the control of conditions through the power of this mind. A year ago this past week, I think this is why I'm feeling really emotional too. Because it was on March 1st last year that I loaded up a truck and I drove to Tucson. One year ago, one year and two days ago, I packed up my life in LA and I drove to Tucson. And there were people who were upset. I know. There were people who were upset because when I left Toronto, I left Toronto and I went back to LA because I thought, oh, well, the conditions, get this? The conditions are such that it will be easier to get by. I will be able to find a job easily and it will be easy, 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 easy. And so I reestablished myself in Los Angeles after having been away for six years because I had lived in Los Angeles for the 12 years prior to being in Toronto. So when I, just a few months later, said, wait a second, no, I am not living what I desire. I'm not living my dream. I uprooted myself and people were upset because they had started to rely on me, right? They had started to rely on me for purposes in their life and I honor that, and I know that we are all now wrapped in love, and it's, it's, it's been a loving transition, but at the time, it was hard because people basically expressed their disappointment that I would have come back, established myself, and then uprooted myself now that I was established and people were relying on me. So if I believe that I can control the conditions of my life through the power of mind, what are the conditions there that I have control over? I have control over one thing and one thing only, me. I have no control over how other people react. And that's hard for people because we sometimes really want to get in there and manipulate how people react. We can't do it. We can't do it. All we can do, all we can do is be the loving presence and act from love at all time at all times, with this in mind, that everything we do is motivated in and as love. So what do I do with the upset of others? I experienced it, right? I experienced it, so I have to understand that I created it. 
I'm not responsible for fixing it. I'm only responsible for myself. Because here's the deal. Who cares what I created? Like I said before, that's in the past now. I created it. Here's what I do know. I care that I can recreate. I understand that this is a principle that helps me move forward with creating my next and my next and my next, and it's all rooted in my present. So let us stop beating ourselves up for the things in our past. Let us stop beating ourselves up for regret. Let us stop beating ourselves up, and let's begin to unleash our unlimited potential. You can, yeah, have at it. We are the only ones. <laughs> it happens sometimes. <laughs> this is why, you know what? This is why we need the TCC arena. Because I'm, because sometimes I feel like, oh, I got to really hold back because I'm on a postage stamp. We are the ones. We are the ones who get in our way. We are the only ones who ever get in our way. That's, that is my truth. That is my understanding of this infinite truth. Our good, our good is born of our mind. Our good is born of our mind. Everything we experience, frankly, is born of our mind. So what we perceive as good and what we perceive as bad, it's all born in the same place. But our good is what is born in our mind. And the degree to which we begin to truly live the principle of love only and infinite forgiveness, that's when the good really takes hold. And we cease to experience those things that don't feel so good any longer. So our good is born of our mind. But to what degree do we believe others have dominion over us? Again, this is a rhetorical question. Because I can look at instances in my life and go, oh yeah, well, I had a boss. Anyone ever have a boss? Did that boss have dominion over you? Perhaps in certain aspects of your life, but at the end of the day, it was all a choice. If you choose to be in that position where there is a hierarchical structure, then they will have dominion over you if you have a boss, right? But it's all choice. No one actually has any dominion over you. Not even me. Because <sighs> I'll tell you, sometimes I wish I did, because if I could just go, and you all got it, wouldn't that be nice? In the meantime, I would be out of job. Well, that's what I always say. The, the best thing that could ever happen for me is that I put myself out of a job because I have now allowed the entire world to understand and know who they are. Right? So why have we come to believe that anyone else has dominion over us? I had dinner with... Um, didn't really plan on talking about this. I had, and how does this, how does this fit in? Well, it does fit in because clearly it came to mind. I had dinner with a, um, with a longtime friend and was actually my college sweetheart. We were together in college. We had, our relationship ended years ago. <laughs> 25 years ago, our relationship ended. And uh, we are both since, obviously, obviously we've both moved on. Um, he is married to his husband. I am married to my husband. And the four of us got, to get, got together for dinner on Friday night. It was lovely, really, really lovely. 
And I think the reason that I bring this up, here's actually, I know, I know exactly why I bring this up, because I talk about particular relationships in my life where I have allowed other points of view to have dominion over how I felt about myself. The reason that that relationship ended 25 years ago was because I made a mistake. Because I made a mistake. And as I reflect on it, I can look at that and say, his reaction to my mistake in cutting off the relationship and being done with it is something that I could look at and saying, oh, well, I am now subject to his feeling because I can carry this guilt with me forever. I get to carry it with me if I choose to. And I did. I carried it for years. I carried guilt for years. The act of forgiveness that needed to happen was ultimately not about my belief that he needed to forgive me. It was about me understanding that I needed to forgive myself. And when I forgave myself, I was freed. But until I did that, I was, being, I was being held under this false pretense that he had dominion over me because I was acting out of re reaction to what I thought his belief was. Does that make sense? I think we need to step away from that. We have control of our conditions in life through the use of mind. Now, a lot of people come to this and very early on, it's like, oh, well, that means that I can think and create a million dollars. Well, the truth is, yes, you can. But is that the best use of your mind? Is it the best use of your mind? Because ultimately, what we have control over is, yes, the conditions, but mostly our response to conditions. I'm not saying that they merely just pop up. We have attracted them into our experience. But when we see what we've created, our response to what we've created is what will then create the next thing. And so are we going to live in that place of regret and continue to create the conditions that will cause us to regret? Or are we going to forgive ourselves and move to the next thing? The thing itself, the infinite spirit, God, whatever you choose to call it, the thing itself is ultimate, unlimited potential. And its unlimited potential is us. It is expressed through and as us. So it's up to us to express that unlimited potential. It's unlimited potential to us and as us. Here's the talk title. It's up to us. So what are you going to do with that today? I talked last week or the week before about the women at the gas station at Asilomar following the Asilomar conference, that was a choice to perhaps, in my estimate, in my view, not live up to the infinite loving potential that they are by allowing themselves to get dragged down into the circumstantial world in such a way that it caused friction between the two of them. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to step into? We are the incarnation of spirit. Its nature is our nature. We are spiritual. We are unlimited. We are God. Conditions of life are merely that. They're just conditions, and all conditions can be modified. I've been... It's funny, I actually have it here because I just don't want to forget. So this is our lease. 
for the next place. First of all, look at that tiny, tiny writing. This is our lease for the space we're about to move into. And it outlines the conditions of our rental agreement. 25 pages of conditions in really tiny writing. All conditions are negotiable in the contract. That's what I believe. I read this with the idea that every line in this contract is negotiable. And if there's something that catches my eye, and that's the reason I read contracts before I sign them, if there's something that catches my eye as something that I am not in alignment with, I will negotiate. But how frequently do we just sign our life off without negotiating? Are any of us walking around thinking that we are subject to the conditions around us? Because if we feel we are subject to those conditions, we are simply signing that lease and saying, all right, I accept whatever it is. Everything is negotiable. We are the starting point for the change of conditions, period. The, the, the 14th point on the Declaration of Principles is this. We teach the eternal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life to all. We teach the eternal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life to all. It's pretty self-explanatory. But it's a feeling statement, not an intellect statement. I mentioned my upbringing in this spiritual tradition being in North Hollywood, NoHo, Southern California. And when I first came into the NoHo Arts Center for New Thought, we would weekly, as a community, recite a modified version of these Declarations of Principles. It's been so long now, I don't actually have it committed to memory anymore, but it was, we believe in one power, one living spirit, one indestructible, absolute, and self-existent cause. We blah, 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 blah. And we get to this. We, we believe in the eternal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life to all. And here's what happened as we would repeat this every single week. It became rote. It became basically the rosary. And it didn't have any feeling anymore. And so we ceased to do it. It's also part of the reason that I tend to not do like community readings because they get stale, they get old. But as we do them, like when we do the divine givingness statement during our offering, when we do that, here's what I would like you to do today. Get in touch from a feeling perspective on what it is you are reciting. So this was one of those statements that became rote. We believe in the eternal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life to all. Really, let's, let's actually say that together. And let's allow ourselves to go to that place of feeling. Do you, you may not have it in front of you. I'll, you know, I'll do a call and response. We believe in the eternal goodness. We believe in the eternal goodness. The eternal loving kindness. And the eternal givingness of life to all. And the eternal givingness of life to all. Tap into what those words feel like, not just their meaning from a definition standpoint. The infinite nature of spirit is eternal goodness, eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life to all. In fact, that is how we define love in this philosophy. 
love is giving us. Love is giving of ourselves. Love is acting in such a way that we are creating from ourselves for the good of everything and everyone. Because as we give, so we receive. We stay in flow with the infinite spirit. That's a good feeling statement for me. And the final statement, we teach faith in our own soul, our own spirit, and our own destiny. For we understand that the life of all is God. <clears throat> That's, there it is. The life of all is God. There is no separate entity. There is no separate being. There is nothing separate. All of this, all of it is God. Even the things that don't feel so good, it's all God. The life of all is God. So this, here's the thing. This is so fundamental to our teaching this is fundamental to our teaching because when we understand this, when we truly understand this at the heart level, remember, it's like, oh, yes, I'm going to allow myself to go to that place of feeling. When we understand this at the heart level, we experience the world differently. We recognize the world is not something to be feared we don't have to walk around with blinders on any longer. We live in faith and trust that all is good, all is well, and so it is. It becomes less important for us to assert control over conditions. We don't need to assert control over conditions because we realize that there is no assertion needed. There is no coercion in the control of conditions because as we change our mind, life changes. We don't have to get in there and do it. We have to be it. When we know who we are, when we remember who we are and we act from love only and we allow ourselves to live in that place of forgiveness at all times, we can fall back into the hands of grace. So, the unlimited potential of the thing itself. Its unlimited potential is us. Here's the question. Unlimited potential is living us. Are we living it? Are we living it? Are we living unlimited potential at all times, without fail, 100% of the time? I'm not. I'd love to be able to say yes. But that's the practice. That is the practice. That's why we teach practical tools for personal transformation. The personal transformation is to a deeper place of understanding that we are unlimited potential at all times. And that as we live this more and more and more, life gets better and better and better. And so it is. Namaste. Thank you for listening. Visit TucsonNewThought.org for updates on everything that's happening at the center. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Tucson New Thought. Namaste.